Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And may God bless you as you give. Luke chapter 14, our sermon series this summer has been Stories Jesus Told, a series on the parables, and tucked in the middle of Luke 14 is the parable for this morning. We're going to read beginning at verse 1, so I hope you'll follow in your copy of God's Word, and then open once again when Drew comes in a few moments to unpack this text. Luke 14. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. 
Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So, taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him away. Then he asked them, if one of you has a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull him out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited, and if so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, uh, give this man your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. And then you will be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. And still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to the master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the lying, blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. And then the master told his servant, go out into the roads and country lanes and, and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. 
where suppose a king is about to go to war against another king, will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is neither fit for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. It is our prayer that we will hear what God wants to say to us through this text. Well, good morning, uh, Christ Community Church. Those of you who don't know me, uh, I'm one of the pastors here. My name is Drew, and it is an opportunity, a great opportunity that I have this morning um, to be able to bring to you a message from God's Word. I don't normally get to do this. This is usually Pastor Ken's uh, ministry, so um, I have the privilege this morning of doing so, and I'm grateful. Um, glad to be here. I would like to just pray uh, one more time, ask God for his help as we take a closer look at his word. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we pause as we take a look at your word here, and we ask for your grace to open the eyes of our hearts. Lord, would you grant us ears to hear, eyes that see, and hearts that understand, and respond to your word as you would have us respond. We pray that you remove distractions, things that we may be preoccupied with in the moment, and give us the attention to hear your word, we pray, for our good, the good of this church, for those around us, and for the sake of Jesus and his kingdom, and it's in his name that we pray, amen. Well, this, uh, this summer, we have been in the parables, the parables of Jesus. We've been studying um, the parables. We haven't looked at all the parables, obviously. We were taking uh, our time and looking at different parables, and we've learned quite a few things about Jesus' use of parables. One of the things that we've noticed about the way that Jesus uses parables is that he doesn't use parables as simple illustrations. He doesn't tell these memorable stories the way that a preacher might tell a story to reinforce a point that he just made. Maybe he wants you to remember when you leave the sermon, that main point of the sermon, and so he'll tell you a story so that you remember it when you go home. That's not quite how Jesus used parables. Sometimes when he told parables, far from making something more clear, his parables concealed truth. And at other times, they revealed truth, depending on your heart disposition toward Jesus. For those who were hardened toward Jesus and had already written him off and his ministry and didn't want to listen to what he had to say, well, the parables of Jesus didn't illustrate, they didn't explain, they didn't make things more clear, they concealed the truth to those who were hardened. But to those who were open to Jesus, to those who were interested in what he had to say, the parables revealed truth. 
And there was more there for them to learn about Jesus and his kingdom. We've also seen that the parables don't teach us basic, simple, moral lessons. They're not about how to be a good person or how to be more generous or how to be kind or compassionate. That's not what the parables are about. The parables are about Jesus and about his kingdom. And they often serve as a kind of commentary on what's going on in Jesus' ministry. So when you read a parable in the Gospels, take a look around in the context to see what's going on in Jesus' ministry because those parables often serve as a kind of commentary on what's going on in his ministry, how people are responding to him or not responding to him. And we've also seen in this summer series in the parables that the parables confront us with a decision. Every parable demands from us a decision. They don't leave us alone. Jesus doesn't intend for us to listen to his parables and just leave them alone and move on. He expects a decision to be made about himself and about his kingdom. And this morning's parable, right in the middle of Luke chapter 14, verses 15 to 24, the parable of the great banquet, it does exactly that. It's going to confront us with the decision that we need to make this morning about Jesus and about his kingdom's demand on our life. One of the scholars that I uh, consulted for this message this morning, his name is Klein Snodgrass. Kind of an interesting name, uh, but he's a New Testament scholar and he wrote a 900-page book on the parables of Jesus. 900 pages just focusing on Jesus' favorite method of teaching about the kingdom, the parables. It's called Stories with Intent. And if you're interested in a deep dive into the parables, check it out, Stories with Intent, 900 pages. It's worth the money, though. But here's what he says about this morning's parable, the parable of the great banquet. He says, this parable is enough to make any interpreter weak in the knees. I consider it among the most difficult parables of all. And what makes this parable difficult, what makes this parable cause people to go weak in the knees is not that it's overly difficult to understand, it's difficult because of the decision that we are confronted with as a result of what Jesus is trying to communicate to us. It's difficult. It's a hard message this morning. You and I are going to be expected to make a decision about Jesus and about his kingdom. So what I want to do this morning is take a look again at the parable that's right in the middle of Luke chapter 14. I want to take a look at it, interact with it a little bit, make sure we understand what's going on in the story and then I want to draw two major points of application after having understood and interacted with the parable. So if you have your Bibles open, look with me again at Luke chapter 14. We'll begin at verse 15. Luke chapter 14, verse 15 says this. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, 
blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Now, we need to remind ourselves as to what's going on right now. We need to remind ourselves of the context here in verse 15. I had Pastor Ken read the entirety of chapter 14 because the beginning and the end of chapter 14 are really important to understanding the parable that we're looking at this morning. But Jesus has been invited in verse 1 to the house of a prominent Pharisee. So a really important individual. It's a Sabbath day meal. And Jesus has been invited over to this man's house. There are other Pharisees there, other experts in the law. And they're all around this table and they're about to enjoy a meal. And Jesus notices among the guests, he notices that these men, these religious Leaders are all jockeying for positions of honor. They're all trying to get closer to this prominent host, this prominent Pharisee. They want to be seen as important, as valuable among their colleagues. And so they're jockeying for a place of honor at the table. And so Jesus sees this at this Sabbath day meal, and he gives a parable. He says, hey, when someone invites you over to a wedding feast... Don't take the highest place of honor, take the lowest place, because then the host of the wedding feast will see you and he'll promote you to the highest place, and so you'll be honored. And the kingdom principle that Jesus is trying to get across to those that are sitting at this table is that the one who humbles himself will be exalted, the one who exalts himself will be humbled. That's a kingdom principle that Jesus wants the table to understand. And then he says, look, when you give a feast, when you give a dinner or a lunch, don't just invite those people who will invite you back. Don't invite your rich neighbors. Don't invite family members and friends that you know are just going to repay you. He says, invite those who can't repay you. In verse 13, he says, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Because although they can't repay you, God will repay you at the resurrection of the righteous. When the kingdom comes at the resurrection of the righteous, God will repay you for having invited those kinds of people. And again, he's trying to communicate what the kingdom will be like to those sitting around this Sabbath meal. And so in verse 15 of our text this morning, when one of those at the table heard Jesus say this, that you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When the kingdom comes, God will repay you for inviting those who can't repay you. When he hears Jesus say this, he says, oh, won't that be great when we're all there? When all of us around this table, won't it be great when we're all there in the kingdom of God feasting together? Jesus sees this as an opportunity to correct some false assumptions. This man thinks that he's going to be there. For whatever reason, he presumes he's going to be one of those who will feast in the kingdom of God. And so Jesus needs to teach this man that it's only through himself that anyone will come to feast in the kingdom of God. Because implicit in this man's comment about feasting in the kingdom of God is this question that Jesus is going to address who will feast in the kingdom of God. Who gets to be there? 
when Jesus returns and establishes his kingdom, who gets to be there? This man in verse 15 thinks he knows the answer. And what Jesus is going to do in this parable is teach this man and us that it's only those who respond to his call, to his invitation, and who do so on his terms. Those are the ones who get to feast. Look at verse 16. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. Now this is pretty common practice in the ancient world. There would have been two invites. The first invite would have gone out and would have secured some RSVPs. It would have let you know that there's this important banquet, it's about to happen, and we want you to come. So the first invite is what you see in verse 16. Servants go out, let everybody know there's going to be this feast, we want you there. You would have secured the RSVPs. And then verse 17, there's a second invite. That's letting you know that now's the time. You've already agreed to come, now's the time to come to this feast. That was common practice. And in the ancient world, this would have been the height of someone's social life. You wouldn't have missed it. This was really important, to be invited to a, a really large banquet like this meant that it was really important people who were going to be there. You wouldn't have missed it. But something interesting happens in verse 18. Jesus says, but they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. I, I know you're being generous with this invite and this great feast. I know you want me to be there, but I've got this other thing going on. I've got a business to build. I've got to go acquire this land and this final inspection that's going to kind of seal the deal. And that's more important than going to this banquet. So I'm sorry, I'm, I, I can't make it. Verse 19, another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. You know, me too. I'm somewhat of an entrepreneur. I've got this land that I need to develop, and I got to go buy these oxen. And I'm sorry, but that takes precedent over going to this banquet. Sorry, I'm going to have to decline. With this second excuse maker, uh, scholars believe that this was a very, very wealthy individual. To purchase five yoke of oxen likely would have meant that this guy had about 100 acres of land that he needed developed. 100 acres of land would have been five times more than the average farmer would have owned during this time. He's a very wealthy individual. And what he's telling the owner of this house, of this banquet, is I've got to make more money. I can't be at that banquet. I'm sorry. Verse 20. Still another said, I've just got married, so I can't come. Got this really important relationship. It's called a wife, and uh, she takes priority over this banquet. Can't make it. Now, scholars debate whether or not these excuses 
which are representative. Remember, in verse 18, all of the guests begin to make excuses. So what we have here in 18 through 20 are representative excuses. They represent what people were saying by turning down the invite. And scholars debate whether or not this, these uh, excuses would have been legitimate or not. Some say, yeah, they were legitimate. Some say they weren't. There's provision in the Old Testament that would have allowed uh, newly married men to stay home and not have to go to war because they just got married. So maybe, number three, maybe he has a legitimate excuse. But either way, Jesus' point is that all three of these excuses show that these men have something else more important going on. Whether or not they're legitimate, there's something else going on, and they're not able to respond. In their estimation, these excuses are more important. They're more valuable than responding to the banquet. There's a business to build, there's money that needs to be made, and there's a relationship that needs to be prioritized. And in their estimation, this is more valuable than responding to the invite. Verse 21, the servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry. He's angry. Whether or not scholars can agree on whether these excuses are legitimate or not, Jesus makes it abundantly clear that the master of the house, the owner of the house, does not accept these excuses. They're lame in his mind. In his estimation, they have grossly miscalculated the importance of this invite. They've missed it, and he's angry about it. And the owner of the house became angry, and he ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Go out and invite those who can't repay me. I know they don't belong at a, a banquet like this, an important banquet where distinguished people, important people would be invited to. I want them anyways. Go out and get them. They can't repay me. They don't belong, but that's who I want. Verse 22. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. We still have more food. There's still more places at the table. We can't let this go to waste. Verse 23. Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and country lanes and make them or compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Go out and invite those who can't repay me. Go out and invite the deplorables so that my house will be so full that if those first guests decide to come, there won't be room. They'll be out of luck. It's a harsh words. Those are Jesus' words this morning. Now the meaning of the parable is pretty straightforward as far as the story goes. There's a certain man who throws a great banquet, and those who should have been there 
aren't there because they're too preoccupied with other things, and those who had no business being there, well, they do come, and they are there. That's the story-level meaning. That's the parable, and that's all, by the way, that those around that Sabbath day meal would have gotten. They didn't get the explanation. They just got the story. But there's a deeper meaning. Remember what Jesus is trying to correct here. He's, referring, he's re referencing that man in verse 15 who said, blesses the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. This man assumes that he will be in the kingdom of God and Jesus recognizes that he needs to correct this man's false assumptions. And so what he says to him is that the ones who will be at the feast in the kingdom of God are the ones who respond to the call of Jesus. That's the deeper meaning of the parable. The ones who respond to his invite to follow him and that do so on his terms, not by making excuses, but follow him on his terms, those are the ones that get to feast. It's those who aren't preoccupied with other things. Those are the ones that get to feast in the kingdom. It's those who aren't presumptuous about their own inherent worth to get to feast in the kingdom. Those are the ones who get to feast. And so the questions that we are confronted with this morning are these. Are we preoccupied? Are we too preoccupied with things in this world that keep us from responding to Jesus' call to follow him the way that he wants us to? And are we pre presumptuous? Do we assume that we are going to be the ones feasting in the kingdom like that man in verse 15? Those are the questions that Jesus wants us to wrestle with this morning. Are we preoccupied? Are we presumptuous? A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Ken mentioned that when a parable makes a sudden turn in the story, that that's where you ought to hone in on. Pay attention to those sudden turns, those things that are unexpected, because that's usually where the uh, application is going to be for us. Well, in verses 18 through 20, with those excuses, that's one of those unexpected turns. The excuses are unexpected. The, 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 those that were sitting around Jesus at that meal would not have expected lame excuses like that. They would have recognized that you don't miss a banquet. If an important man invites you to a great banquet and lots of people are invited, you do everything you can to get there. What's precisely at that point where Jesus wants us to pay attention? Do we have excuses this morning? Do we offer him excuses as to why we aren't responding to his invitation to follow him the way that he wants us to? Are things like money, possessions, relationships, are those things getting in the way? Are we too preoccupied with those things? Do we find that wealth and building a career and relationships, are those things competing for our time and energy, resources, and our allegiances? And are those things keeping us from responding to Jesus 
the way he wants us to respond to him. Because the parable is clear. The terms of Jesus, when he calls us to follow him, when he calls us to respond to his invitation to feast in the kingdom, what he says is that nothing can come in the way. You can't have competing priorities. We sang earlier, no compromise. Jesus will accept no excuses when it comes to responding to his invitation to follow after him. I had Pastor Ken read the rest of chapter 14, verses 25 to 35, which really serve as a kind of explanation, as a kind of commentary on the parable. Just listen to what Jesus says to would-be disciples, to would-be followers. Look at verse 26. He says, if we do not hate our father and mother, our wife and children, our brothers and sisters, even our own lives, then we cannot be his disciples. That's excuse maker number three. I've got this really important relationship, it's called a wife, and I'm sorry, but that takes priority over your invite to come and to feast. And Jesus says, when I call people to follow me, family can't get in the way. No relationship can take priority over his call to follow him. Look at verse 27. He says, if we will not carry our cross and follow him, we can't be his disciples. The call to follow Jesus is a call to carry our cross. It's a call to die. And what it means is that any agenda that we might have, any priorities that we might have, any dreams or hopes or aspirations, ambitions, as far as those things are concerned, we are dead to those. They belong to Jesus. This is what it means to respond to the call of Jesus, to come and to feast in the kingdom. It means to carry our cross. And then he goes on in chapter 14, in 28 through 32, and he says that for those who are not willing to count the cost, that when I call you to follow me, I'm calling you to die, well, that's like a man who goes out to build a tower and doesn't count the cost. Of course he's going to count the cost to make sure he has what it takes to complete the tower. Or a king who's ready to go to war, but he's going to make sure with 10,000 he can defeat the one with 20,000. Otherwise, he's not going to go to war. Jesus says if we will not count the cost, can't be his disciple. And then in verse 33, it's as if he's pointing out the lame excuse-making of number two and number three. Look at verse 33. He says, anyone who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Land can't get in the way. Yoke can't get in the way. Yoke of oxen can't get in the way. Possessions cannot get in the way of following Jesus. And what's interesting in verse 33 is he doesn't say anyone who isn't willing. He says anyone who does not give up everything. Not just being willing to do so, but doing it. This is what Jesus says, is this is what it's like to respond to his invitation. 
And then he ends with a metaphor about salt. And he says, a disciple who isn't willing to give up everything to follow me, to respond to the call, the invitation to be my disciple, it's like a man, it's like salt that loses its saltiness. It's no use. It's no good. Throw it out. That's what it's like to be a disciple who hasn't given up everything. And Jesus is saying that when he places a call in our lives, when he invites us to follow him, to feast at the kingdom, it has to be on his terms, not ours. We don't get to pick and choose what we're going to keep. We don't get to pick and choose when we're going to come. It's all or nothing for Jesus. There can be no competing interests, no competing priorities. He'll suffer no excuses. Well, there's a second point in the parable that makes an unexpected turn in the story, and that's in verse 21, when the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame get invited to the banquet in place of those first guests. This would have been unexpected. These were people that those around the Sabbath day meal with Jesus, they would have recognized that these are people who would not belong to such being a part of such a banquet. They're not worthy of being invited. They don't belong. They're the riffraff. They're the deplorables. They're not the distinguished guests that should have been there. And that's exactly Jesus' point. You see, he knows that the man in verse 15 presumes that he's going to be in the kingdom. He thinks he knows what it takes to be in the kingdom, to be one of those who are going to feast. This was a man who was just jockeying for a position of honor at the table. Jesus just watched this man try to get closer to this prominent Pharisee so that he could be seen as more honorable, and this man thinks he's going to be in the kingdom. This is clearly a man who has not carried his cross. This man has not died. He's still very much alive. And Jesus needs to teach this man and us this morning that it's not those who think they belong who will feast in the kingdom. It's those who know they don't belong. And it's this second unexpected turn this morning that is addressing two kinds of people this morning. The first are those who are assume, presumptuous, that they're going to be at the feast in the kingdom of God. They presume that they are among Jesus' followers, that they are a, a true disciple. Maybe they said a prayer at some point in their life, or they made a commitment at Camp Zion, and uh, they read all the right authors, they listen to all the right pastors, they believe all the right doctrines, and so they presume yeah, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be in the feast in the kingdom of God. But Jesus says, by telling us those excuses, that if we claim to follow him, but we find ourselves preoccupied with the things of this world, then we need to be warned. We need to take warning. The second group being addressed this morning are those who know they don't belong. They're the ones who know, spiritually speaking, they are the blind, they are the lame, the crippled, the poor. They know they're unworthy of being in the kingdom of God. 
And they recognize that the only reason they would ever be invited is by a sheer act of grace. And if that's you this morning, you're right that you don't belong. You're not worthy to be invited to the feast in the kingdom. But the master of the home, he wants you there. But he wants you to respond to his invitation to come to feast on his terms, not on yours, which means wholehearted commitment. Nothing can get in the way of the invite. The parable of the great banquet really can be summed up with a statement and a question. The statement, Jesus is throwing a party. He's throwing a party, and he wants you to be there. It means following him, but he's throwing a party. Are you going to come? Are you going to come? Will you be there? It'll mean not being preoccupied with the things of this world, wealth, money, possessions, building your portfolio, relationships. It'll mean being wholly devoted completely committed to him and it'll mean not being presumptuous about your own deserved right to be at the feast. So will you come? Let's pray this morning. Father, would you give us again, we pray, ears to hear Would you cause us each to respond to Jesus' call to follow after him, to respond to his invitation without reservation, not according to our terms, withholding parts of our lives for ourselves and not giving those over to Jesus, but giving him everything, responding to his invite on his terms and not on ours. Would you... Keep us from being preoccupied with the things of this world. Would you cause us from having a spirit that's presumptuous about our own worth, but recognize that we come to you, we follow you as a sheer act of grace. Would you cause us this morning to respond the way we ought to? And we pray these things for our good and for the sake of Jesus. Amen.